Hey everybody, uh, this is Jerry, and welcome back to the Asian Americans. We're uploading this episode on a Monday, uh, not Tuesday as we normally do, because I wanted to share this message about the elections before Election Day, uh, which is tomorrow. So here we are on Monday, November 2nd, a day before what many of us have looked forward to, both with hope and anxiety, as it is an Election Day that is so, so, so important to so many of us. So yesterday we got together uh, with members of the Biden campaign and some of our favorite Asian American Pacific Islander podcasters to share a discussion on why we care so much about sharing our stories and why we care so much about voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And so I want to thank Amit Johnny, who is a National Asian American Pacific Islander director at the Biden campaign. By Bob, Varun, Hannah, and Howard as well for making this event happen on short notice and to provide us the resources uh, to execute on this event. And the people who you'll hear on the show, Ken Fong, Punam Saxena, Minji Chang, Nidhi Shastri, Helen Lee, and Tiffany Yu. I hope you take the time to listen to this episode and to learn a little bit more of our own whys of starting our own storytelling projects via our podcast and why it means so much to us that we all vote for Joe and Kamala tomorrow. If you are interested in learning more about the various shows you'll hear about on today's episode, do check out the show notes and we will have an opportunity for you to uh, check out all the other folk shows. And do please make sure that you have voted or have an actual plan to vote tomorrow and check it on your family and friends to do the same. We are the fastest growing electorate in this country, and we can and will be the margin of victory in key states. And so I want to thank you for listening. Please do share this particular episode out to your social networks if you do think that people in your friend group and your colleagues may want to hear it. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. This is an incredibly important message. And without further ado, here now is AAPI Pod Cast Your Vote. From yesterday. Hi, everybody. Welcome. It is November 1st. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, hope you are a little bit more well rested. Um, even all the parents out there whose kids probably have no idea what daylight savings time is and still woke up at their normal hours. Uh, we are excited that you are joining us today. Uh, we are just two days away from what many of us believe to be uh, the most important election. Um, not just in our lifetimes, but perhaps in the history of our entire country. And so it is my honor uh, to host this conversation along with friends of mine um, who all have our own various platforms sharing Asian American stories. And we wanted to share with you a little bit of our perspective, the things that we've learned and why it is so important for us to leverage our platforms and our voices uh, to make sure that one, that we are all participating in the process and that we are all informed, but moreover, that we believe that uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the absolute best people to help us move not just our community, but our country forward. And so we've brought together some amazing friends and we'll hear from uh, folks from all across the country serving a lot of different demographics. And so uh, thank you for joining us. Before we do get started, um, I'm really excited that we have a special guest with us here today. Um, Amit Johnny is the National Asian American Pacific Islander Director for the Biden for President campaign. He oversees a team that oversees a lot of the different affinity groups. I'm sure if you've been following the campaign, um, you, like me, have been amazed by just the 
thoughtfulness in the different groups that have been given love and attention and voice and space to share our unique stories. Um, and so, uh, Amit, it is our distinct pleasure to have you. Um, where are you? How are you doing? And share some thoughts with us before we get started. Sure. Uh, thanks so much, Jerry. I'm coming live from uh, Jersey City, New Jersey, uh, not too far from our Philadelphia headquarters. Uh, you know, we've been working remotely, uh, you know, during COVID. So, you know, it's certainly been an experience. And before I start, I just want to thank you, Jerry, for putting this event together to, and, you know, all the influencers here and hosts here uh, to put putting this event together to use your voices and your platform to inform your listeners about the significance of this election, like you mentioned, as well as the importance of voting for Biden and Harris. You know, there, there's so much at stake in this election, especially for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. You know, uh, APIs are the fastest growing electorate in the country, which is exactly why it's so important that we have leaders who look like us, who understand our experiences and who will work to ensure that we are at the table when these decisions are being made for us and our community. Um, the outcome of this election is going to have a lasting impact for generations to come. You know, we always say, you know, this is the most important election of your lifetime. And truly, this really is the most important uh, of all of our lifetimes and for our children and grandchildren and again, many generations to come. So we all know that um, representation matters uh, in this election. You know, we have an opportunity to be represented at the highest levels. Um, you know, and, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to ensure that, you know, we that, you know, our voices are heard, that we'll be at the table, um, you know, and that really starts at the office of the vice president where, um, you know, Senator Harris would hopefully come Tuesday uh, uh, along with Joe Biden, um, you know, win the presidency and vice presidency. So we're so excited that APIs can really be the margin of victory uh, in making that happen. Um, you look at some uh, data, uh, recent data from Target Smart, which shows that API voters have almost doubled their share of their first time voter population. And that's relative to 2016, a larger increase than any other group. You know, our community has seen a 400% increase among API youth vote. Traditionally, uh, less than 50% of young people between the ages of 18 to 29 vote. So it also shows that APIs are excited to participate in this election, that they're going to be a part of this process, and that we're going to make the difference and be the margin of victory. And so I'm really proud that the Biden campaign, the Biden-Harris campaign, has built the broadest, most diverse, and most inclusive coalition we've ever seen. We're extremely proud of our concerted effort to inform, mobilize, and empower the API community through unique virtual events, uh, geo-targeted phone banking, translated materials in 20 languages, as well as in-language ads on television, digital, radio, and print, as well as direct engagement with local ethnic media to reach some of the API voters who may be more difficult to reach through traditional voter outreach efforts. So we hope that uh, um, many APIs not only feel represented in this campaign, but also empowered and inspired to be a part of it. Um, each, each one of us has an important role to play. Uh, many of our parents may not speak English fluently and the ballot may be daunting, but it's critical that young people help their parents to vote. So also please uh, message and call all your aunties and uncles, cousins, friends, chitties, uh, everyone you know to vote as well. Uh, and please, please, please make a plan to vote at IWillVote.com. Again, that's IWillVote.com. So again, I, I just wanna thank you for all your support uh, to all your listeners. Thank you again. Um, please go out and vote. Please encourage all, all your friends, family, everyone to vote. Uh, and with that, I wanna turn it back to you, Jerry. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ahmed. Um, you and the rest of the team have been working so hard around the clock. And 
um, with just about three days to go until we may know, um, you know, I'm sure that anxiety is still high. Emotions are still high because we just don't know, um, particularly given who we're up against. Um, nothing is off the table. So um, thank you from the bottom of our hearts um, for the entire country, really, um, for making us feel seen and heard. Um, it's really, you know, for, for me personally, and we'll hear from everybody else shortly. Um, I know I'm not the only one on this panel who wasn't born here. And so for us to go through this process and to sit on this panel to um, share why we care so much, um, you know, and other democratic or other inclusive campaigns have been run, but not like this, um, not like where everybody feels like they have something to belong to. So um, it, it speaks to the character of you um, and your leadership, obviously from, you know, Vice President Biden on down. Um, so. Uh, we hope to have more of these conversations uh, with less, a little bit less anxiety in the future. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we appreciate all that you do. Um, special shout out at the top to Vaivav and Varun and Hannah and Howard, um, who, as soon as I had this crazy idea and sent up an email, said, yes, and let's just figure out how. And so um, it's with that sort of spirit and that sort of excitement that I know that this campaign and the affinity groups are being run. So thank you. Um, get some rest. Um, maybe not today, maybe Wednesday, but um, keep up the energy and, and we are really grateful for what you're doing for all of us. So we have a great lineup of friends. Um, you know, we tried our best to try to get a large, diverse group of podcasters, um, some, uh, you know, in the lower Gen Z age range for as far as their audiences are concerned, um, and across the country and different groups that may not usually, you know, be um, as vocal or as represented. So um, we're going to go around and ask everybody to share uh, who they are. Um, I'll, I'll list the participants and we'll hear from them about who they are, what their show is about. And in particular, I'm going to ask everybody if you could share something that you've learned about our community uh, since the time that you started your own podcast. And so we've had some podcasts that have been running for four years and some for four months. And so looking forward to a great discussion today. Um, joining us today, representing the Asian America podcast is Ken Fong. Representing uh, EDU Me is Punam Saxena. First of all, pod, Minji Cheng, model minority, uniquely American with Nidhi Shastri. Fresh off the vote, Helen Lee, Tiffany and you, Tiffany you, and me. I'm representing the Dear Asian Americans podcast today. So uh, Ken, welcome to the show and uh, share with us a little bit more about you. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Four, four years, that's nothing. We're, we're in our sixth year of a weekly podcast. Um, yeah, we, I think we were one of the first to start in uh, May of 2015. Uh, we didn't realize it at the time that it was going to be declared the year of the podcast. We did it because uh, we felt like this was a new uh, medium and uh, as typical uh, Asian American voices were not well represented. Uh, we started off really wanting to have a place for uh, Asian Americans to tell their stories, uh, both past stories and ongoing stories and future hopes. So we have a, a very wide uh, demographic. Um, and uh, it's, it's been very, very um, heartening. Uh, we, I think, have been around long enough uh, that publishers have now kind of noticed us and I get free books in the mail. Uh, from Asian American authors. I get free tickets to go to the theater anytime there's an Asian American production. Um, I mean, even Netflix just uh, recently contacted us to help promote Over the Moon, which is that new Netflix animation thing. So those are the things that we dreamt about, but 
you know, we didn't know how to ever do it. And, and so in the meantime, there's so many stories out there. And I feel like uh, we've really been able to capture some history. Um, one of the things that still hasn't completely landed yet, but the Asian American Students Study Center at UCLA uh, has taken notice and they have uh, asked to archive all of our episodes. Uh, I have to go through the laborious process of tagging with Library of Congress tags, uh, all the episodes so that future people, when they wanna kind of dive into a subject, they're, they're able to actually do that uh, in that way. So, you know, we started with this, not sure what this was gonna be. I, I just knew that I love meeting more people. I knew there are great people and great stories that weren't known and needed to be told or to be told in a deeper way. And so that's why we're still doing it. Awesome, thank you. Um, you are often regarded as either the godfather or the OG of um, Asian American podcasting. So we're so glad to have you here, Ken. So going from Southern California all the way to the South in Georgia is um, Poonam Saxena representing the EDU Me podcast. Hi, Poonam. Hi. I guess I should say, hey, y'all. <laughs> more more um, indicative of being in Georgia. Um, first of all, I'm so excited to be here on this panel with you all and having an opportunity to speak to our Asian American friends out there. So it's such an honor to be with you all. So in order for me to explain EDU Me, I kind of need to go back for just a moment. I was actually born and raised in the South in the 70s. So think about that time in our history when integration was happening. And here we land from India. You know, I'm a newborn. My parents are, are brand new to the country. And we end up in this rural, rural city. And we were the only Asian Americans in our community for the first 12 years we lived there. So we were the, the unknowns out there. And often, because we're in Georgia, often people would go, so what tribe are you from? Because people didn't really understand that there was a country. We didn't have that um, knowledge base in this country. So those are the things that I had to overcome. And part of overcoming, as we all do, is my parents had to figure out the education system here. In our Eastern culture, you know, we look at authority and education as being very revered and very respected. And you don't really have a voice in our Eastern culture, but here you do. For good or bad, we have a voice in this country. And my parents didn't really understand that. So us assimilating to the education system was a challenge. So I grew up to be an educator. My parents are educators. My son's an educator. But I spent a lot of my time trying to give those voices or that voice to others that didn't really have that voice or that understanding of what it was like to be an outsider and try and fit in. How do you navigate education? Because we all revere education at the highest regard. So EDU Me was actually born out of that desire to give parents a tool, a resource, an opportunity to understand our education system in America where we're trying to raise our children and make it be successful for them and easy for our children. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I think you provide a unique perspective that many of us are not 
um, yet familiar with. And you dis- you have a distinct advantage of having raised children who are now adults as well. Yes. Um, and so love speaking with you. Um, you've also spoken on some amazing podcast platforms, most notably at the Podcast Movement Conference. Um, so congratulations to you and thank you for making our voices heard um, within the uh, podcast industry as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's come back to Southern California and meet one of my dear friends, um, former executive director of Collaboration and host of the First of All podcast. Hi, Minji. Hi, Jerry. Thank you very much for having, I'm so honored. I'm like, I'm so excited to learn more about all of your channels and platforms. Um, as Jerry mentioned, I am in Los Angeles, but I'm actually a Bay Area native. So Tiffany, I know you're out there in San Francisco representing, holding it down. Um, I am an actor, I'm a producer and fledgling filmmaker. I've been in the creative space with Asian Americans for the past 11 years, very much you know, just in the thick of producing showcases, conferences, um, working with major film festivals, minor film festivals, really kind of being immersed in the Asian American identity and all the creatives that are bursting at the seams to share our stories and are struggling with various challenges of vocalizing who they are and figuring out who they are. Um, my podcast was actually born out of the Collaboration podcast. So Collaboration is a nonprofit. Um, this year's our 20 year anniversary of discovering, connecting, elevating Asian American artists. We've worked with uh, performance artists and increasingly in the behind the scenes and film uh, world as well. And again, just really the Asian American storytellers, we had a podcast that is called Collabcast, uh, currently on hiatus, but we were you know, three years deep into doing a weekly podcast to elevate Asian American creatives. And my co-host Marvin, who I love, he was like, you know, my partner in good at collaboration. You know, I was uh, expressing a lot of concern about his health and is and inquiring a lot about his dating life and all this stuff. And he's like, you know what, you should really create another podcast because like you talk a lot about this stuff and maybe that'd be cool to have your own channel. Um, thankfully, I took him up on that. I didn't know what I could contribute, but I I have a lot of thoughts and opinions. So it created first of all, and in doing so discovered that there was a vacancy, um, an absence of Asian American female voices. It wasn't necessarily my intention, but in recognizing that I was feeling an absence and seeing the response from my listeners was incredibly empowering, it was very humbling. And so my podcast has really been focused on what interests me, um, who I am besides being executive director, besides being an actor, like things that drive me which is relationships, which is culture, which is identity. Um, And it's kind of become this personal anthology of just my journey as a human, as a creative entrepreneur, of being a woman, uh, being a millennial, now being, you know, succeeded by Zoomers. I'm so like intrigued by the dynamics of generations and processing my own traumas. And so in that, uh, my podcast has become hopefully a safe space for a lot of Asian Americans and anybody else who's interested in that narrative to learn about the truth. Like, what do we really go through? A place to be vulnerable, a place to be very honest in a way that um, we may have kind of been hindered for X, Y, Z reasons. So it's been a really, really eye-opening journey having these weekly conversations, being more honest and more vulnerable than I ever expected to be. And then having people respond to that and continuing to have these conversations. So that includes politics. Um, I'm constantly learning. I'm very interested in it, but I'm also recognizing how much more or I have to. Excellent. I'm just honored to be here in all of your company. No, thank you. Um, thank you so much for everything that you've done um, and continue to do to uplift our voices. Um, 
our first guest from the Midwest, uh, representing Chicago, or from Chicago, rather, um, is Nidhi Shastri, who is the hostess of the Model Minority Uniquely American podcast. Hi, Nidhi. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much um, for setting this up and for having me on this panel. I'm super excited to be here. Um, and yes, as Jerry said, my podcast is Model Minority Uniquely American, um, and it's quite new. I launched about four months ago, so in August, um, and it really seeks to sort of debunk the model minority myth. And so for those of you who don't know, the model minority myth is that concept of all Asians are smart, all Asians get perfect grades and they're all doctors and lawyers and engineers and stuff. And so my experience um, growing up in Chicagoland and living in Chicago and studying in Illinois has always been very different from that, not just in my own family, but in the community members and the people around me. And so um, from a young age, I sort of knew that this myth isn't really beneficial for a lot of the people in our community. And so I started this podcast as a way to sort of debunk that myth and show the ways in which it's like harmful and the ways in which it can actually bring down different sectors of our community. Um, so that's a little bit about my podcast. In terms of what I've learned, um, I would say my biggest takeaway so far has just been the fact that you can find connections to your story within the story of countless people. And it could be people completely different than you. And so in this work, I try to interview people from a bunch of different demographics. I interview people from the African immigrant community, from the Asian immigrant community, and that I break it down like South Asia, Southeast Asia, West Asia, East Asia, right? And so I've learned that people coming from all over the place to America, a lot of them have very similar stories to that of my own, to that of my parents. And so um, it always surprises me and amazes me in a good way, how much we can connect with people who we think are so different um, than ourselves. So that's a little bit about my podcast. And thank you again for having me here. I'm super excited. Thank you, Nidhi. Um, and this one is super exciting because um, I learned about this podcast before it launched. Um, was really excited to learn about it. And uh, we have somebody joining us from Asia for this conversation. Um, it is somewhere between 3 and 4 a.m. And so representing uh, the amazing uh, Fresh Off the Vote podcast is Helen Lee. Hi, Helen. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for having me. And I'm really excited to meet everyone on this panel. And you're right, you kind of knew about the podcast <laughs> when launched. Um, but similar to Nidhi, I launched my podcast, um, Fresh Off the Vote, back in August. And uh, the idea for the podcast, well, first of all, Fresh Off the Vote, we're a podcast kind of mainly targeting the Zillennial generation, the Gen Z millennial, put them together, millennial generation, and looking at civic engagement specifically because uh, that topic is not very much covered in our own family lives. And I discovered through becoming more politically active, through joining different initiatives, um, I'm involved with Democrats Abroad, which is the Democratic Party branch abroad, and that a lot of spaces, while they're advocating for minorities, it's kind of lip service often. It's very tokenizing. And they really don't know these stories in depth or how issues relate to various um, diasporic populations in the United States really, on a deeper level. And youth vote, youth engagement overall is uh, not at where it could be. And so I started fresh off the vote in order to start really critical conversations among my generation uh, and to kind of foster more long-term civic engagement. 
yes, November uh, is, is, is upon us, but how do we sustain this kind of movement? How do we think about these issues and how it relates to every other community? Uh, and so uh, Fresh Off the Boat, we're, we're quite young, but I do think we've covered a wide range of issues that are, are pretty important. And I actually have to thank a lot of mentors here. You know, Jerry, you kind of like, uh, you know, said, hey, go on and start something, right? And so did Ken. Ken was the one here who, yeah, the OG of Asian American podcasts, but he said, hey, like you have this idea, you wanna start a podcast about civic engagement. Why did you post on some Facebook groups? And then suddenly uh, people found me and out of this interesting times that we live in, we started this podcast. So I have to thank everyone who's mentored me for that. Uh, so other than mentorship, I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is how little coverage a lot of these issues get in the media, right? So for example, our podcast, we've done an episode on misinformation and fake news and ethnic media, which is like we chat on WhatsApp, all of these things that we, the, the mainstream media doesn't talk about because they're so focused on, um, on you know, other channels. And we, we, we focus on the issues like debunking all of these very um, complex issues that not only we can understand them better as um, zillennial Asian Americans, but also elected officials or um, private sector, public sector people can really acknowledge that um, to not tokenize us, to understand these issues on a more deeper level. And so I think I've learned that representation has a long, 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 long way to go. And in order for that to happen, younger generations really need to, you know, communicate and um, kind of say like, hey, we're here and these are the issues we care about. And we're also doing in-depth reporting too. In a very short amount of time, uh, Helen, you and your team have done some amazing work um, and, and even putting together the team all remotely, obviously, I'm pretty sure you guys haven't seen each other, um, especially since you're in Nepal right now. Um, it's been really impressive uh, to see the energy surrounding, um, especially in an area that really doesn't get a lot of focus, um, but we hope to. Um, and, and so to uh, round this round this out, around the panel out of introductions, I'm really excited to have Tiffany Yu. Uh, she is the host of the Tiffany and Yu podcast and also the founder of Diversability. Um, she is a diversity or a disability advocate, excuse me, and um, and she has, hosts a podcast uh, that celebrates a lot of the voices that don't often get heard. So, hi, Tiffany. Hi, Jerry. I've loved hearing everyone's origin stories of their podcasts. So, my podcast, Tiffany and You, was what I will call a pandemic podcast launched in March around this idea of just wanting to take an intersectional lens to all of the social issues that are happening. So. Many of our initial issues were about COVID through different lenses. And then more recently, we've been looking at um, the intersection of Black Lives Matter and what it means to be an active anti-racist ally. But I think for me, I think what's the most interesting is, as you mentioned in my intro, I'm a disability advocate first. And I am the first generation daughter of a Taiwanese immigrant and a refugee from the Vietnam War. But I never actually thought about what an Asian American identity meant to me until actually very recently. And I think similar to Minji, a lot of people started coming to me as a result of being a leader within the disability community, commenting on how they were so excited to see an Asian woman in a leadership role. And so I think, you know, thinking about the question of like what I've learned about the AAPI community, 
part of it is the fact that our existence is our act of advocacy, our act of activism, and our act of protest. Thank you. I'm so excited to have everybody here. And whether you're listening to us live on Sunday afternoon, or you're hearing this as a replay, or you're hearing this on one of our podcasts um, re-airing, um, we want to thank you for joining us. And I'll be very upfront and blunt. There's seven amazing people here. I guess six amazing people plus me. We just have under an hour. We won't be able to talk as in depth or as um, as much as we'd like to about these important topics. And so we, we hope to encourage more discussions and more conversations amongst your friends and amongst your circles through, the, some, of, through some of the things that we're going to be launching or talking about shortly. And I speak for everybody here. If you want to continue the conversation with each of us, figure out a way to get in touch with us. Uh, we're very public with our, uh, with our brand and our shows. And we all do this because we want to engage and grow the pie of conversations that we firmly believe need more representation and, and more talking about. So, um, and so we're going to go around the horn and we'll, I will direct a question to each person. Again, apologies that we won't be able to talk much longer um, again, and thank you for joining us. Um, I, I want to start by talking about just storytelling in general and how podcasting obviously has elevated, particularly during 2020, uh, with the ability of podcasts to really democratically just say whatever we want without anybody's permission. Um, Minji, you've been around the Asian American entertainment and storytelling community for a really long time. Um, for both podcasting specifically and just in general, um, have you seen our community evolve in storytelling, particularly as uh, we get more confident that our stories actually do matter? Uh, I would say I, I'm just blown away at the sheer volume of narratives that are out there. And each one is unique. Each one is valid. And that's kind of what I've been advocating for and fighting for in terms of like the past work with collaboration, wanting to get sponsors to care about who our community is. And in the kind of diversity totem pole, I've seen directly in terms of responses, in terms of dollars, how low we've been on the totem pole in terms of the diversity conversation, how inconsequential it has felt for us to be Asian Americans and wanting some level of attention and care and consideration. Um, that's been a very uphill battle in, in kind of like my friends. And I know beyond my work, which is only, you know, the last decade, there's so many people before that that have been fighting for, again, relevant significance. So um, I know that for me, my generation being a millennial, um, really, there was a huge surge with YouTube. What YouTube did pre pre-podcast universe was like really kind of leveling a playing field in terms of representation, in terms of democratizing an audience, like seeing that there are millions of people who wanted to watch David Choi and AJ Raphael and all these Asian American faces who are very talented, had a point of view, had um, a story to tell and seeing that the numbers for like Ryan Higa and all these different um, voices and storytellers was making its presence known there. Now that I see in podcasting, there's kind of a level of, uh, for me at least, even though I'm an actor, there's something about putting my authentic voice out into the universe that's still very frightening. Like I, maybe it's part of our culture. I do think that there's an inherent part of like, keep your head down and just work hard, right? Um, and in that there's an inherent like, staying away from like, don't pay attention to me. I'm not, I don't wanna be the rabble rouser. I don't want it. Cause you are then exposing yourself to vulnerability to being 
hammered down, right? You're the nail that sticks out. You're the flower that grows taller, they get cut. And so there is a lot of risk involved emotionally, mentally to be the, be the person that's going to be the naysayer or draw attention. And it's really encouraging and very empowering to me for someone that I feel internally so opinionated, still feeling that fear and um, being empowered by people like these people on this panel to be courageous and like vocalize those things because all of those narratives cumulatively in total share a much more accurate depiction of who we are. And it informs and it empowers, it encourages, it can shut down a lot of powers that be um, to take us seriously and to consider us again, to have significance, relevance, consideration, because we are very big contributors to society. We're contributors to the world and to America for sure. Um, so I'm just really happy that all these podcasts are coming out. We are some of us in the earlier stages. So there's a lot more to come. Like all of us here are, we're still, you know, continuously honing and finding our voices, choosing what area of the universe we want to talk about. <laughs> there's so much to cover, but I just think that storytelling has, is, is exploded. And um, even that translates to, you know, film, music, TV, all of that, they all play their part. And so I think we're all feeding that energy of courage, of boldness, of intellect, and, you know, compassion. I think we're finding compassion for ourselves. I think Asian Americans are extremely severe. We have a very <laughs> intense cultural background where, you know, we're not, it's not, it's not normal to be like, kind to ourselves and, and, and think about what we want and what we need. And to say that, to say it out loud, man, I, I could go on again. That's why I have podcasts. I could talk about this for hours, but um, I, I just want people that are Asian Americans to feel seen, to feel heard and understood, hopefully just by each of us sharing our perspectives and our stories it is very, very powerful. There's so much there, Minji. Um, and, and I think the limitations that society, American society, mainstream media has placed on us, that there should be a finite number of Asian American stories and that we all sort of have to fit this uh, definition that makes it easy for them to identify us. Um, but not only are there 30 or 40 countries and so many beautiful cultures, um, you know, I actually define all of our audiences, not just a subset of the 18 million Asian Americans who happen to be here. It's how much ever of the 4 billion Asians globally that can resonate with our story. And so it's, it's funny every time we hear these stories of you're not a big enough market in the back of my mind, it's holy moly, you have no idea what you're missing out on. And, you know, the data tells us that, you know, we are fastest growing, we are educated, we have disposable income. So even from a business perspective, um, you know, I kind of like being the underdog as a community that people haven't really found us yet. Um, but I hope to uh, grow the pie and uh, really, you know, continue the journey so that one day we actually have no idea how many Asian American podcasts there are, um, because I still feel like we are being limited by, uh, you know, aren't there enough or aren't there a few. And so, um, so, so Ken, I, I want to continue the conversation with you. Um, you've been at this for six years. Um, I speak for not just me, but so many in our community uh, to honestly want to thank you for starting that and to continue um, what we all know to be very long nights, thankless hours of editing and just stuff that really nobody understands until you do it. Um, but to really be an inspiration and a motivator for all of us to continue to start sharing our own stories. Um, and so how have you seen um, since 2015 going on six years um, podcasts, specifically Asian American podcasters evolve 
and the landscape and what excites you about more, what even excites you more going forward into the future? Um, just to update you, uh, for the first time in six years last week, I lost my uh, co-producer. So now I'm everything. So it gets harder. Okay. <laughs> so, so I just learned in one week uh, how to edit all the, uh, the feeds, right? And how to upload it to Libsyn and da 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 Right now it's fun because it's, it's novel, but uh, we'll see how long that lasts. Um, yeah, you know, kind of to, to, to echo Minji, when, when we started six years ago, it kind of felt like the beginning of YouTube, which was like Kev Jumba and Nigahiga, right? It was just like a few Asians. And then after a while, Asians kind of made it Asian YouTube, right? And it, it, it became this thing. And it, it really feels like, and it looks like, and even just this panel here, um, there has been an explosion of Asian American podcasts and voices, which I think for, you know, speaking for each one of us, I think it takes a huge amount of pressure off of each one of our shows that we don't have to say everything. We don't have to cover every subject. We, we don't have to invite every possible guest, right? Uh, you know, I've always been a generalist in life ever since, you know, being a little kid. So our, our show is still kind of a generalist. We do have people who represent people with disabilities, right? But, you know, we also have, you know, we're trying to get an Olympic ice skater or something like that, right? So, so I think that um, speaking as one of the progenitors, I just feel a tremendous amount of relief that um, a few of us don't have to pull the whole plow, right? And, and it's like, um, I also think, again, echoing Minji, um, it is a, it's one thing to have this rich cultural background that we all come from, but there are some, some blind spots or some encumbrances. And one of the things that you mentioned, Minji, was we don't want to be the nail that sticks up. I never heard the flower part. That, that's a good one. I think every culture has don't stick out. One of the reasons why uh, I keep doing this is I early on discovered this is the one space in my life and I'm a baby boomer, okay? There's a one space in my life where I can say whatever I really wanna say and no one can fire me. Okay, now I don't know if that's true for everybody else, but, but that's a, that is a tremendous space. Uh, and I think you add the Asian cultural burden on top of that where we're always being told, well, what are they gonna think? And you're gonna bring shame on this organization and on your family and all, all this kind of stuff. And yeah, I was already kind of into that lesson of, hey, you know what? Speak your mind, speak with your voice. You will find the, the audience that are, are yearning to hear that, okay? Not everybody. And the other people, they'll just tune you out. And, and it, it's like a tremendous freedom to not feel the burden of trying to please everybody in the world, let alone all the Asians. And I think the proliferation of all these different podcasts among AAPI people uh, speaks to that as well. And I, I just celebrate the, the explosion of diverse uh, offerings uh, just minimally represented here today. But I think that's, that's a gift um, to, to, as you said, Jerry, to the world. I, I discovered a bunch of Chinese scholars like from mainland China because I had one of their educators on. There's a whole group of 500 on WeChat that are studying Asian American culture. Right. And I just take it for granted. I'm third generation. And these people who've never left China, they're like, what does that do to you when your ancestors leave the home? <laughs> right. And so I think there's this hidden audience as well who are wanting to learn uh, somewhat vicariously, if you will. I, I think that's one. I mean, look, I, I 
we have to build on top of each other and we really don't know who's listening when we speak into the universe. Uh, Minji, you mentioned something about just the, the courage to speak. Um, I've seen, I did this myself, more people get frightened to speak in a microphone by themselves than they would speaking in front of an audience because there's this, we know that at some point, once you put it out into the universe that anybody and everybody can listen to it. And so um, what, what this platform has really allowed us to do is to say what we want about the topics that we genuinely care about that obviously that often don't get the light of day for a lot of different reasons. Um, and let's call it out for what it is. There's discrimination, there's racism, there's not enough total addressable market. Uh, but with this particular medium, with nobody's permission, we've been able to share the stories that matter to us. And while it would be while the numbers and the downloads and the stats sometimes get us excited and motivated, if it can actually reach one person and change their paradigm and their shift or change or make them feel less alone, I, I think we'd all collectively feel that our job is done, even though it is so hard in the long hours behind the scenes. Um, and so I want to ask, uh, we'll start with Tiffany and go to Nidhi. Um, you both particularly focus on um, parts of your audience and your own experiences that you felt was lacking and therefore you felt it was almost your calling and your um, not obligation, but an honor to speak on these topics. Um, sh share with us a little bit about your process going to that and the lessons that you've learned in speaking um, and even just about the pride or the change of, or the change in your identity as you've uh, begun this journey. Sure, I'll, I'll answer that. I actually love what Ken said that you can't get fired for being yourself. <laughs> Um, and that's actually one of the things that I remind myself of a lot, right, is, you know, even if there's fear around putting something out or fear of criticism, as long as you just stay true to what you wanted to say, then people can say whatever they want. So to share a little bit more about my origin story and why I focus so much on the amplification of intersectional disability stories, I was involved in a car accident where I was nine, where my dad, who was driving, unfortunately passed away. It was a single vehicle car accident. So he unfortunately passed away and I um, acquired the spinal cord injury that would end up paralyzing one of my arms. In addition to the accident, I also broke a couple bones in my legs. So I was in a wheelchair for like four months. And we talk a lot about kind of like, I love this proverb of the first nail that sticks out is, or the nail that sticks out is the first one to get hammered down. And this idea of like trying to avoid shame to the family at all costs. And so in the context of this car accident, for me, it was death is shame to the family. This traumatic car accident is shame to the family and disability is shame to the family. And so I, and, and most people know this by now or probably not here, but I didn't tell anyone about the car accident until 12 years after the car accident happened. And this is why I think I'm a little bit of a late bloomer in the Asian American community, because I found that parts of my Asian cultural upbringing influenced how much I could and couldn't share about my truth. And now that I'm out, um, I talk a lot about how liberating it is just to be myself. And, you know, a lot of people will often ask, you know, Tiffany, like Asian Americans also aren't seen or like women need more stories or, or disabled, like how do you pick which identity you wanna uplift? And I think for me, I picked the identity that just held the most stigma, at least right now, and needed a little bit more of a narrative shift to say, hey, I actually really embrace my disability narrative. I'm really proud of how far I've come. Instead of looking at me like a victim or, or pitying me or feeling shame, 
can you come and meet me where I am and all of the other, and then actually as a result of sharing that specific disability narrative story, it's allowed me to start to unlock all of these other parts of my story. And this is what makes intersectionality so important and complex, right? It's like, you can't just pinpoint one thing that happens, but maybe you just need a little bit of that emotional sharing at the beginning. Like Minji has been, Minji talked about on her podcast, a lot of this is like vulnerability of tapping into like, where are the areas she wants to explore? And she's starting to dig more and learn about her own personal narrative that way. So that's that's a little bit why I care so much about disability, but also just dis disability. We've got racism within our community as well. It is very white. It is, you know, like disability doesn't necessarily look like a millennial. It's like, how can we amplify as many diverse stories within our community as possible? And what's also interesting is like, I don't see a lot of Asian disability advocates, right? Because a lot of Asians who do actually have disabilities probably don't disclose, right? Because of this, this um, ongoing shame to the family. Thanks, Tiffany. Um, you know, when we talk about these projects that we start, these podcasts that we start, and um, obviously, you know, we want for it to last a long time. We want it, hopefully, uh, to make it financially sensible for us to continue onward. Um, but a lot of us are really rooted in their desire to help change lives when we start these shows, um, these projects that go on for years and years, hopefully for many of us. Um, and then for anybody who's listening, who's listening to this because they're interested in starting a podcast, um, always remember that the first person whose life will change when you start something like this is you. And everybody on here, um, our lives have changed completely. Um, new friends, new amazing people have entered our lives. We've learned things about ourselves. And it's because all of us, um, whether topically we talk about something different, but at the core, we are self-expressing. We are finally giving ourselves to be us and to be authentically everything in that we do. Um, and, and for me too, nobody's ever told me that I could be me, right? So um, similar to what Ken said, it, it takes a long time for people to realize that there, you all got one life. And so, um, and, and we are so unique in everything that we do. Um, Nidhi, I, I want to hear from you on, you, you started this journey uh, most recently. Um, what about the model minority myth and just your notion of wanting to share unique American stories um, prompted you to start sharing um, all stories about all of us? Yeah, for sure. Um, first, I want to thank you, Tiffany, for sharing your story with us just now. And I think that it's very inspiring for me to hear stuff like that, because much like you, I lost my father too at a young age. And so when we go through these things, oftentimes there's this shame surrounding them of, oh, you can't share this story with other people. And so now we've created almost like a sort of career out of doing that, right? And I think that's really powerful. Um, and so I think for me with Model Minority, I wanted to really focus on this narrative that success is the main factor and what does success mean? So for a lot of Asians, there's this pressure, this pressure placed on us by outside society. So like when we come to America, other groups in America look at us and say like, oh, you're the smart kids. Like you're the guys who are gonna become lawyers and doctors. And if you don't like, well, that's not a thing. Like there's no creatives who are Asians. Those don't exist, right? But there are a lot of us. And so that pressure sort of shapes some of us. And then also the restrictions placed on immigrants um, constrains them 
to a certain career or a certain job, if they come here and they have to stay stuck in a certain job they hate, oftentimes that has to do with a lot of pressure and that has to do with a lot of shame and that has to do with how we define success as a society. And so with Model Minority, I really wanted to combine like telling the stories of, you know, I wouldn't say non-conventional, but perhaps Asian groups that get sort of overwritten. Like, so for me as a South Asian American woman, like I feel like I never really had a space in the Asian community. I always had to like shove my foot in the door and say like, hey, I'm Asian too. Or if I would tell people like, hey, um, I'm also Asian, they'd be like, you're not Asian, you're Indian. And it's just like, okay, well on the census, I'm like Asian. So I sort of really wanted to um, hone in on that and bring that into the a narrative as well and make sure that I'm sharing stories from Southeast Asians and West Asians and South Asians and um, East Asians as well. And just make sure that there's a real diversity to our stories and there's a diversity that shows that not everybody has a success story and that's not a bad thing. Like we don't have to be ashamed over that. We have to be transparent about it so that we can see that other people have these stories too. And so when we do that, we can create a community much like this one and we can start telling more stories and making more people feel seen. And so that's really my mission with this podcast much like many of you is to just provide that extra layer of like visibility in our society. I think the moment you realize that any of us has realizes that our Asian American experience, um, often by which we define what Asian American experience is overall, um, once that gets shattered, once you meet enough other people that check the same boxes on these forms as you do, and realize that some are adopted, some are refugees, um, some are biracial, um, and, and everybody's story is so rich, but yet because of who we are or who we want to be, um, we can identify and we can share in this journey. Um, it is one of the biggest gifts in the world because then you realize the infinite possibility of storytelling and that you can actually spend the rest of your life learning so much about so many different people. And, and it is far beyond just a singular descriptor. Um, Hel- Helen, let's go to you. Um, you started this podcast with a very specific mission of targeting or speaking to um, your generation, um, the 18 to 25 younger generation, um, which while celebrated at times for their activism um, and their energy, um, has not historically been very active in the polls um, or in the political process. Um, Why has it spoken to you so much that you actually started this project specifically along those, um, at the intersection of those things? And um, what have you learned about um, the young uh, Gen Z Asian Pacific Americans that we hope to uh, shake this election here in a few days? Yeah, so first of all, I've at, well, the first thing I've actually noticed is that we talk about Gen Z, it's like monolithic or millennials monolithic. I've noticed that there are the high school generation who has started podcasts, and we are actually kind of culturally distinctive. Like there's this dynamic of, um, you know, I like get what they do. I, I feel like there's a weird generation gap almost now that I'm learning more, um, even within like a couple of years, which is insane to think about. Um, but to address your question, Jerry, about what's like kind of the biggest thing I've learned. And, you know, I, I did start out with this podcast being focused mainly on like, hey, November's coming up, voting, get out the vote. But over time, I realized uh, as we were developing our episodes um, to be more um, in depth and issue focused, that it's, it's way beyond just like getting young people to go vote, right? 
I was pretty inspired by, um, and um, RIP to the Patriot Act on Netflix, but I was super inspired by Hassan Minhaj's um, The Patriot Act in this episode focusing on Asian American voters and his style of um, taking one issue and breaking it down and relating these two. And I, I love how he makes these jokes to, to, you know, hey, like aunties and uncles, like this is for you. He makes it so casual being Asian American and focusing on these issues. It's, he, he, he does his episodes focusing on everyone, right? But he doesn't shy away from acknowledging his own community in order to, you know, go more in depth and to call them out, right? So I think that, well, two of the, two of the things that I've learned throughout this podcast is um, one, that there are people in really cool spaces doing awesome things that I had no idea about. And, you know, for example, every time I listen to our own podcast, I learn something new, you know, it's like, for example, in our justice system, there are Asian Americans running to be elected to be judges. I didn't know that. Or, hey, they're, they're environmental advocates in a predominantly white space. And just seeing that is really humbling because you learn that you can envision careers in public service and civic engagement that you could not have before because because someone gave you permission by being there and being a role model. And so that's one thing. And then something else I'd like to tag on is, I'm going back to Nidhi's talking about how underrepresented communities are within the Asian American community. Um, we've got a lot to improve, right? So throughout our episodes, we've chatted with like a candidate from the Aloha Aina party in Hawaii. We've talked about how native Hawaiian populations are not being served. We've talked about um, young progressives in the democratic party who canvass in immigrant communities and how these communities are not being served. And so uh, I think that in order to hold people accountable, we need to keep creating content. We need to keep creating storytelling initiatives um, because it gives us permission to advocate on behalf of ourselves. And so to anyone who's listening, I highly encourage you to start a podcast because you've learned so many skills, um, team management, storytelling. And if you have imposter syndrome, that's very normal. You get over because you realize nobody knows what the heck they're doing at all. We're all learning along the way. I hope that your project goes far beyond uh, November 3rd, Helen, and to really continue, because um, it feels like a lot of this discussion about election and voting seems it's like we're running towards this finish line on Tuesday and somehow, you know, um, rainbows and unicorns will emerge and things will go back to normal. Uh, we, we certainly know that's not the case and it is going to be an ongoing battle. Um, what we hope to have inspired this year or this time around is this new uh, mindset, this paradigm of the way we think about our civic duty um, and the way we educate people. Um, podcast really is, is, a very, is a very new medium, um, was you know at first used for entertainment. And in fact, now entertainment is usually the highest rated categories, but many of us have sought this platform to change the way we share stories, but also change the way we share information to teach people. And so um, uh, Poonam, um, Finishing out with you, um, you've been in the educational space professionally for the majority of your life. Um, what excites you about this platform and the way that we share stories and how we can reach people through our voice anywhere in the world and the way that we can really shape the way we teach and share? Well, you know, let's, let's think about how we learned as children. And I guess Ken and I are in the same generation. I'm just going to go out on the limb here and say that we're probably the older two in the group and that's okay. 
But, but, you know, think about how Ken and I learned. We learned in a, in a classroom. We went to the media center and we went to the library and used the card catalog. And, and you know, you younger um, ones are not quite sure what I'm talking about. I'm sure it's something hidden in the back of the media center now. But that's how we used to learn, right? That was the old Google. That's how we learned. But think about how we learned the real essence of our being. We learned by talking or listening to those we respected and revered. Our aunts, our uncles, our grandparents. Those stories are how we learned. Now, let's fast forward. And you know what? We, we listen to those stories. How many times have you listened to your grandparent tell you the same story, right? But there's always some very deep meaning that is intertwined in there that we carry forever. But when we fast forward to 2020 and we look at how far technology has brought us, our aunts, uncles, and grandparents are the people we're bringing into our studios because they're the ones we're learning from. We're, most of us don't have our extended families here in America. And certainly during the pandemic, we don't have them close by. So we are having to, as social beings, reach out to create those connectivities with others. You know, we're connected here on a screen and we're so far apart from each other. And yet each one of us today will take something very crucial away from each of our each of our talks. So podcasting has become the new education model. We're bringing personal stories, we're bringing those folklores and those real life experiences into our own studios and we're sharing them with the world. So education is the new medium. Sorry, let me rephrase that. Podcasting is a new education educational medium. I'm not diminishing teachers, but teachers have a different role. They're, they're bound by rules and bureaucracy. Podcasters aren't. And like Ken and Tiffany said, you know, you really can't get fired for giving your opinion. But, but within our opinion, there's valuable lesson. We give our opinion because we're coming from a place of experience or knowledge, or you know what, we read it somewhere and someone said it and it worked for them. So podcasting has transformed the way we learn. And every single one of us, it doesn't even matter what the topic is that we talk on in our podcast, we're teaching something. But more importantly than that, we're learning and we're growing. And in this medium of podcasting, virtual reality, it's, it's the wave of our future. And so, I think that we are in this wave and I think podcasting, as Jerry mentioned earlier, you know, podcasting has exploded in the last 18 months. And especially during this pandemic when people are, are hungry for, for that connection with people and want to learn. And we want those stories to be at our kitchen table and, our, and sitting on our sofas drinking our tea. So podcasting is the way to go guys. Thank you. And thank you to everybody. Um, 
you you one of the last things you talked about was the future. Um, so I want to end up by talking. I want to end this conversation by talking about the future. And um, I know we're at the top of the hour, so for those tuning in, um, we really appreciate you joining us today. And um, uh, you know, we'll kind of wrap up here um, by hearing from our, our guests one more time. Um, the the future is at stake. Um, the America that we ourselves or our parents or our grandparents immigrated to and the, and the vision um, and the dream that was promised to us, which still can exist, is on the ballot. Um, how our children and our grandchildren get treated in this country, what they are allowed to do, who they are allowed to marry, um, where they can exist is all on the ballot. Um, oftentimes, when we have these platforms of storytelling, particularly um, as audacious as some of us are in saying that we represent a large community, um, sometimes we feel this pressure to not pick a side, to say that we represent all voices and that we want to be a place for everybody. Um, but here we are. Um, we are. This is an official campaign-sponsored event where we are here because we all fundamentally believe that Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Kamala Harris are the right people. Um, we've talked about it publicly, all of us. We've shared it privately um, and unapologetically so, uh, because even though we are picking a side, um, I, for myself, I believe that I am picking a side that is for everybody. And so I'm not picking a side that is exclusionary. I'm picking a side that is the most inclusive or that gives us the best chance of being inclusive um, and to help us all. And it's not just to elevate the Asian Americans and it's not identity politics because the vice presidential candidate happens to be of Indian descent. Um, it's because we fundamentally believe based on everything that we've experienced and have learned. Um, and so, first of all, before we get started, I do want to thank the campaign again and the team that helped us uh, with this event. Um, it is far beyond our imagination that we would be doing this uh, just a couple of days before the election. Um, and so I want to go around the horn again and we'll go in reverse order of how we introduce ourselves. And um, so we'll go Tiffany, Helen, Nidhi, Minji, Punam, and then with Ken. Um, share with us uh, very briefly in, in about a minute or so um, why you are so passionate um, about participating in the civic process this particular year and why you believe that uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the right choice and just anything else uh, that you'd like to share with the Asian American Pacific Islander community um, as we head into the last, uh, the last stretch of the marathon before Election Day. Tiffany? Um, I'm a little bit nervous to go first because um, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to say, but that's the beauty of podcasts. Um, so I think for me, what this really, what I think, what I'm reminded of so fervently is at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, um, I just felt really heartbroken by our current leadership and rhetoric that they were spreading that was perpetuating anti-Asian racism. And it made me feel really heartbroken to live in a country where we thought that that was okay. And as we you know, look to the next two days, I think for me, um, and the World Economic Forum has said this, like we really need a great reset. The pandemic has provided kind of like an opportunity for a reset in all these different political areas, climate change, et cetera. But I think we also need a reset in terms of how we treat each other. 
And I think what makes me really excited about a Biden-Harris ticket is that I really feel that I am represented in what they are hoping to achieve over the next four years. So if I can leave anyone with a message, it is to go and vote, please. <laughs> and in many states across the country, you still can register even on the day of. Um, we all, I think most of us read this alarming article a couple of days ago saying there are 305,000 unregistered Asian Americans, many of them in uh, battleground states. So um, if you're one of those people, please vote. Or um, if you know who these people are, let us know and we'll start making some phone calls. Um, Helen, we'll go to you. Yeah, so um, I think it's important to mention that I originally was not a Joe Biden supporter. <laughs> I was actually a, a Sanders delegate for the Democratic National Convention. And so I, I hear a lot of more progressives in the party feeling like, oh, like, you know, 2020, what happened, right? But at the same time, you know, having these conversations, what I've really clearly noticed is that people don't feel heard and people are hurting. And in this case, you need leadership that actually gives you a chance and listens to you, right? And so in order for voices from working class minorities um, to be heard in our politics, in our civic engagement life, you need that leadership. And it's very clear that that's going to probably happen more with one candidate than another at this point. And I also live abroad and it's been almost extremely clear how America's public image has deteriorated in the past year abroad. Leadership has declined. People kind of like, when you say you're American now, people pity you <laughs> because of, of the pandemic and because of what's been happening and the wild things that come out of America, right? But kind of to counter that narrative is when you're voting for Biden-Harris, you're kind of deciding that for your future, it's going to be a more moral future, more inclusive for all, and to know that this is not just like a moment, it's a movement, as some have said, and that even after you elect them, you, you have chances to hold them accountable, right? It's not just about Biden-Harris, it's also the down-ballot races, your state legislatures, which also have a lot of power. And so I encourage to anyone who's listening, who's still on the fence, who maybe Maybe it wasn't their first choice to think about who's actually going to give you a chance and listen to you. Because when that happens, can you have a seat at the table, have a piece of that pie, advocate for your community? And that's so incredibly important to remember in this 2020 election. Thank you, Helen. Nitty? Yeah, I want to hop off what Helen just said because I was going to say almost the same thing. Um, I want to start off by saying that the Trump administration has hurt the most vulnerable people in our community in the U.S. and also abroad. Um, we've seen things like the Muslim ban. We've seen Southeast Asians being deported at record level numbers. We've seen South Asians and Latinx people in IC detention camps. We've seen Black Americans dying on the street. Like we cannot afford to have this administration keep going. Um, and so I want to actually address the percentage of API voters who might think that this is a situation of picking between the lesser of two evils, right? And um, the hesitancy to do that, because I know there is hesitancy to say, oh, this person has my vote regardless because they're not Trump, right? Um, so kind of like what um, has already been said, I feel like we can we can enact change, we can enact change, sorry, as much as we 
advocate for our communities. And so I feel like if Biden and Harris are our next presidency leadership, then we can have a seat at the table to advocate for better policies. And I think that there are some things that I still fundamentally don't agree with that the Biden administration has on their agenda. But I think by electing them, we can use that as leverage to say, hey, we elected you into office. Now we want you to represent us and represent the needs of our community. And so to those people who are kind of on the fence, I would say this is why I endorse the Biden-Harris um, administration. Thank you, Nidhi. And, and I think that openness to, or that willingness to be open and to hear is already being demonstrated by our mere presence here on this call. Um, the fact that some, you know, people like Ahmed and everybody else has these roles and that they are actually spending millions of dollars into uh, communicating with our communities um, is something we obviously don't see from the other side and perhaps being done for the first time. And so um, while critics might say, well, you just want the votes, but you know what? We need a seat at the table for our voices to be heard and to actually be in those rooms um, to further make sure that we are no longer ignored. Um, and so thank you for sharing that. Um, how about you, Minji? I feel so ill-equipped to answer this, but I will speak from when as best as I can. I, I personally think people who spoke right before me said it so clearly and beautifully. I would just literally copy and paste what they said. Um, I For me, it has been a lot about, I don't know, I'm very energetically focused right now, that there's been a lot of evidence. It's not just energy, but it's also like science, right? Because facts matter and truth matters. And I think there's been a huge opportunity for the last four years for this current administration to give us proof and evidence that they deserve or can can hold the responsibility of the pow that power. And I think they have shirked that responsibility. I have, think they've neglected it. I think they've crapped all over it in so many different forms that that is something that is, I just think it's kind of, it's so dangerous to ignore that. And then, you know, when it comes to a Biden-Harris ticket, yeah, I, I, I echo Helen Needy, like had my reservations, my, my skepticism, my questions. And I also have seen a lot of evidence that shows the clear indication of the contrast between the two tickets, the the current, um, what do you call it? The the powers at play right now, just like everything from this, our structure, like how our, our government works. I'm still learning about all of this to really understand the, the electoral college and um, to know how that works. So much to unpack. Right now, we are maybe like metaphorically backed into a corner Still, regardless of how we feel about that, this is the truth of the matter is we have to make a decision. Our decision right now matters tremendously. It will impact the future. It will impact our lives tremendously, our children's lives. I've said this to young voters too. We are going to live longer. I like the distinguishing be factor between myself and my parents, not to be morbid, but I'm like, they're gonna leave the earth more likely, probably prob probability speaking, they're, they're gonna be out of here sooner than I am. And my children are gonna inherit the world that we decide that they inherit. That is a huge responsibility. Um, it's a lot of power, it's scary, it's intimidating. I feel that's true and I'm in my thirties, but I really wanna encourage people to step into their power, um, to get educated, to use this as an opportunity. This single decision is going to make a huge impact, but it's not the only decision. And like Helen Needy said, this is gonna be the gateway of continuous accountability that we're gonna to have to keep maintaining from here on out. So as as, as momentous and um, important as this 
thing is I really encourage people to get out and vote because that vote will make a huge difference and the conversations we'll have every day will make a difference too. Um, don't let it stop with that vote, but also you cannot discount that vote. So make sure that that vote counts and to vote for Biden and Harris. It is a gateway. It is uh, a moment of a movement that is very crucial right now. And we got to step up to the plate. Thank you, Benji. Uh, Punam. Thank you, Jerry. I have a couple of thoughts. You know, I am voting for Biden and Harris for several reasons. One is hope. You know, we all need a little hope right now in this world because all of us are struggling and trying to find whatever this new normal is in our in our lives. So they're offering us hope. They're giving us a way out. It may not be easy. It may not be tomorrow, but there's a, there's a plan. There's a way forward. We don't have to live like this. The other couple of things I want to share is, you know, won't it be nice to one day wake up and not have to worry about um, personality issues and we can actually talk about policy issues? I can't remember the last time there was a conversation about policy. Talk to me about policy because that's what directly affects me. But we haven't had that conversation. You know, our children watch us. They watch us every day. We need to be modeling behavior that we want them to, to emulate. And they're going to mimic whatever we do. So if we are not engaged in this election, if we're not engaged in the process of learning about our candidates and making an informed decision, and hopefully letting them know that the right way forward is the Biden-Harris ticket, then we haven't done our job as, as parents and as adult citizens in the world to set our future up. And the, the last thing I want to share, well, the next to the last thing is, you know, Joe and Kamala talk about equal rights. I'm a brown woman living in a white world. My son is gay. I want him to live in a world where his rights, his privileges, and his benefits are equal to every single other citizen in this country. And Joe and Kamala are going to be able to help me allow my child to have that. That's why I'm supporting them because it's, it's not a matter of personality. This is a matter of lives that we're talking about. And it is, it is affecting all of our lives on different levels. And it is affecting my children, my adult children. And I'm not willing to stand for that. The last thing that I want to share is a quote from Mohandas Gandhi. The future depends on what we do in the present. What we do today, what we do in the next two days is crucial to what our future looks like. So I implore you, please go vote. Grab everybody you can and get out there. We, we need this for all of us. Thank you. Ken? Oh, Ken, I think you're on mute. Yeah, definitely what everybody else has said. And, and, and let me just add my summation. I, 
yes, this is a consequential election. And I think it's because America as a country is, is really at this moment of truth. Are, are we going to leave behind white privilege, white power, white centrism, and truly live up to what this has been you know, sung about and painted, but not lived out? I, I think Trump came along at the exact right time for the people who want to hold on, if not go backwards, and everyone else is just a visitor. We're perpetual foreigners, if you will, um, and and they still get to run the game and and basically rig the game. Okay, and too bad. And and so regardless of the result, and obviously I want Biden and Harris to win in the worst way possible, but even if Biden and Harris win, that consequential moment of, of crossroads that we're at as a country is still there. And, uh, and like some of us have already said, we have to hold Biden and Harris accountable to moving us further. You know, if we're going to heal the soul of this nation, well, the soul of this nation has rot. And, and we have to be part of exposing the rot for what it is, what we do in our podcast, bring it into the light. It's the greatest disinfectant. There's a lot more work that needs to be done. Biden is not a messiah or a savior of any kind, but he is not a pathogen like I think Trump is. <laughs> okay, so so our our country has been infected for a long time. Trump has been the perfect embodiment of that, and it's exposed to my horror how little progress we've made in the face of how much progress we've made. Right. I, I want to leave you with uh, the the words of one of my. Uh, African-American friends from Mississippi who's been working on race, race politics for his whole life. And, and uh, he said, you know, Ken, some of us were born on zero and we never thought that we'd ever leave zero in our lifetime. It's been generations of being on zero. And he says, we're not on zero anymore. And yes, we still have a long, long, long way to go, but let's also celebrate that half inch of movement, right? without losing sight of how much more we have to do. And I think Biden and Harris are the, are the people that we have. It's, it's not a choice between lesser of two evils. It's, it's a choice between someone who's gonna move us back and make America gruesome again for people who don't represent that centered privileged power group and people who are not only live this, Kamala you know herself, but, but I think embody it in their choices it's, it's an obvious choice. If you're on the fence, you get off the fence. If, if you want to be part, especially as an Asian American, if you want to be part of this country and to be at that table, there's only one choice. Thank you, everybody. Um, I'll, I'll leave you with three final parting thoughts. Um, one, as, as mentioned earlier, election might seem like it's the finish line, but it is actually the starting line. And as exhausting as this year, as exhausting the last has the last three, four years been for many of us, um, it is the beginning because we have to work even harder than we have during this campaign to make sure that we shape the policies and, and the future of what this country is. Um, to, um, again, not to focus on identity politics, but the fact that we have a daughter of an Indian immigrant who has a very good chance of being sworn in as a vice president of this country that's a big effing deal, um, not just for black girls and Indian girls, but for all of us who don't look like every other vice president in history. Even when we had a black president, the vice president was an old white guy who we love because we're going to vote, vote for him this week. However, 
Think about that. This is monumental for all of us, for everybody to feel included and at least represented in these conversations. Um, and then lastly, um, vote for those people who can't. Um, if you can vote, if you're a citizen of this country, you not only represent yourself, you represent the undocumented family and friends. You represent the people who are incarcerated without the right to vote. Um, and you represent the kids who can't vote. Vote for all of them. And so uh, we hope that if you're listening to this, you care enough about it. And if you made it through all of this episode, um, that you have voted. Um, but And perhaps you're listening to this while you're waiting in line to vote. Thank you. Um, but it's important. Um, it is important for so important that all of us have taken time on a Sunday afternoon and evening to to speak with each other. Um, again, big thanks to everybody at the campaign. Big thanks to all of our guests. Um, if you're listening to this on the show, we'll have uh, links to everybody else's shows. And I, as um, I, I know, it feels like there's a lot of podcasts, and every other day somebody's asking you to check out their new show. Um, but I've had a chance to listen to every single show that is represented here. Um, it's good stuff, and you know, these people are, and, and the larger community at heart, um, working so hard to make sure that our, our um, stories are shared, but also documented. Um, I wish I had stories from my grandparents and great-grandparents of what they lived through, and we're doing that. Um, whatever happens to us and whatever happens in the world, my descendants can listen to this particular tape and see what the heck did Grandpa Jerry think about two days before the world changed. So um, Ken, Poonam, Tiffany, Nitty, Helen, Minji, um, and to Bye Bob and Hannah, who've been patiently running controls here with us. Um, Amit, thank you for joining us. Um, Howard, thank you for making this happen. Um, I am cautiously hopeful. Um, we hope to uh, be in a different place here in a few days. Um, but we know, and we know that in our heart of hearts that we've done everything that we can um, to encourage everybody to um, be informed and to be uh, voting the right way. So uh, please vote. Please vote for uh, Biden-Harris and encourage everybody else to do the same. Thank you. Foremost, please be healthy. Please be safe. Um, coronavirus numbers are higher than they've ever been. So um, whatever it is that you're doing, if you're working the polls, if you're volunteering, if you're out there voting, please, please, please be safe. And we look forward to the day that the seven of us can hang out together and have a conversation in person. And so thanks again. Please be safe. Vote, vote, vote. And we'll see you soon. Thank you. We may have our feet in two cultures, but America is our home. We speak multiple languages and may come from different places. But let us be clear. This is where we belong. In this election, vote for everything that matters. Vote for our children. Vote for our elders. Vote for healthcare. Vote, vote for, for education. education. Vote for the economy. For our environment. Vote against racism and discrimination. Vote for equality and respect. Vote, vote for the United, United States, States of America. It's going to take all of us to really use our voices. So let's just stick together and be sticky rice together. Between now and Election Day, let's vote for a better America. Joe and I are counting on you. When we vote, things change. When we vote, 
we win. Vote for Joe. Vote for Joe. Vote for Joe. Vote Thanks again so much for tuning in. Send us a message if you want to chat about the election, about this episode. Again, everybody's links to their own shows will be in the show notes, so please do check that out. And make sure that you have either voted or you make a plan to vote today. Don't use the mail. Walk it or drive it over to an actual election box or to your city hall or county elector's office, wherever it is a safe place to do so to ensure that your vote will get counted. Thank you again so, so, so much. We'll be back next week on our regularly scheduled Tuesdays to share even more amazing Asian American stories. And I sincerely appreciate you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. And thank you so much. This has been your host, Jerry Wan, signing off on Dear Asian Americans, episode 83. And please vote.